Where's the applause? We practiced all day yesterday. I'm sorry. Yeah, you want to go again? Here, go. Okay. Oh, you wanted a whole. Oh, you wanted a pause. You wanted. A, yeah, that wasn't clear. Okay, go again. Sorry. <clears throat> Thanks for hitting that play button. Yes. Oh my God. Whoa. <laughs> we now have a live studio audience on this podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to Unlearning, a podcast dedicated to all the things you had to unlearn in order to become the better person you desire to be. I'm Felicia McLeod. And I'm Matt Sadler. Today's episode is about education and intelligence. Let's unlearn that. That was my first time getting to say the phrase, let's unlearn that. You said it, I think, in all the previous episodes. And you said it this time, and you did a great job. It's a big deal for me. On the one to 10 scale that we'll use later in the show, on my journey of (laughs) saying the catchphrase, I'm going to put myself at a five. Right in the middle. Nice. I would have said a seven. Well, thank you very much. Um, let's introduce our guest so that he's allowed to speak, because uh, he's patiently just waiting for us to introduce him. Uh, today we have a special guest on the podcast, uh, Mr. Michael Gomez. Hello, Michael. Hi, Michael. Hello. <laughs> thank you for being here. I guess... <laughs> uh, well, let's, let's start with some full disclosure. We had some technical difficulties. So we uh, recorded an episode with Michael uh, yesterday, and there were some audio issues. So we are now re-recording. And uh, this whole thing actually was really just a giant excuse to talk to you a second time. Is That's really what we were doing. Yeah, the audio was actually perfect. I just wanted to do this again, do a round two. And I just want to say that yesterday, um, the conversation was indeed perfect, and today is probably going to be very subpar, so... Yeah, I, I, for the record, I knocked just it out of the kidding. park yesterday, and it just doesn't exist, but it was my best <laughs> podcast ever. <laughs> as my only guest experience on a podcast, it was mine as well. This, was that your first podcast you were on? No, I lied. I'm already starting out as a liar. That's not good. (laughs) But thank you for your honesty. Thank you for coming back and being like, you know what? I lied to you. You know what? What I meant. What I meant was my first this year. Nice. And my first during a pandemic. Mm, Which changes things. Yes, and my first re-recording. So a lot of firsts. Uh, And talking about unlearning and talking about education and intelligence. It just makes me think, hey, Michael, when was a time where you had to unlearn something about education, intelligence? Um, there's another word, but it starts with a P that we talked about yesterday. Professionalism? Mm. Yeah, that came up a lot in our first conversation, <laughs> which unfortunately you cannot ever hear, <laughs> but, but will be referenced several times today in the podcast. If you hear any of us say... As I said yesterday, just <laughs> please give us <laughs> some leeway on that. Yeah. And just trust that we did we did talk about things. And we got real deep. Um, when I think about... I'll go first to give you okay. guys a chance <laughs> to get it. When I think about unlearning something in education or intelligence or professionalism, I think about growing up because I grew up in Muskego, Wisconsin. We were the only black family and... Uh, repeatedly I had a lot of teachers that were 
uh, either racist or just like super ignorant who wouldn't support me in classes or when it was time for me to try and figure out what I was going to do for the future wouldn't encourage me to do anything outside of like little basic things because they thought I wasn't smart enough to be able to do any of those jobs so then I took that as true thinking like I'm not smart enough to go to school um so it took me a long time even in my 30s to finally unlearn like I am smart I can write I can do all these things I thought I couldn't do or I held myself back from because I wasn't the the standard of what people think is educated is intelligent is something that's professional just wanted to bring the mood down Let me bring it down even further. Um, <laughs> no, but that's that's like what we that we as a society have to unlearn is that there is a certain type of intelligence or there's only one way to be professional, one way to be educated. I mean, if everybody went to college and studied the same thing, then we wouldn't have a bunch of other people to provide services and mm-hmm. um, other things that, you know, someone with a liberal arts degree can't do. And just because someone's educated in one way does not mean that they are of any less worth or value to society than someone who's educated a different way. Mm, we do or shit, someone value. who's not educated at all. Everybody is you know, worthy uh, of something and everyone's got self-worth and the dignity of a human being and entitled to the rights that everyone is entitled to so why why we all have to strive to fit into this box um is just a, a, a prior a way of being that we've all been taught and it's I've, i see sort of just the beginnings of people breaking out of that mold mm-hmm. it's nice <clears throat> to see that we're not uh yeah like you said putting value on people based on their education or intelligence it's like everybody is important in their own way um, and uplifting that and moving forward to see what we can discover and what we can create. And for a long time in human history, like being smart and being, uh, having like a college degree, were not necessarily uh, equated, right? It's only in the last uh, 50, 60 years that like it's kind of expected for more people to go to college. For a long time, uh, if you were going to be you, you know, you were going to follow in your parents' footsteps or you're going to have an apprenticeship or whatever. You learned your trade. You didn't necessarily go to college. There were some very smart people in history that um, never got an education beyond eighth grade. And now it seems like um, there's a lot of pressure on young people today that you have to go to college. You have to go to the best college. Um, there's there's so much pressure on. I mean, like I felt pressure and and I can't even imagine how much worse it is now. Like every year it gets so much more competitive to get into the best schools because it's like at 17 you have to get into the best schools so you can have the best life and you can be a, a doctor or a lawyer or the president and it's like we don't we don't need 300 million presidents uh we you know we need we need people in service industries we need people in in everything i mean i could tell you that i've never felt more useless than when I've been on a plane and someone asks for medical assistance. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've never felt more useless when, I mean, a toilet clogs. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Right. Right. What to do. Or when the lights go out. 
Yeah, and your plumber probably didn't have to go to college to learn how to be a plumber. Maybe he went to trade school or something or was just like an apprentice or whatever. But uh, that is some knowledge that <laughs> is very, very useful that, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, some of the smartest people don't know uh, some of the things like that. Because I can tell you someone who's suffering a heart attack on um, anywhere or choking on something mm. is not asking me to... Um, perform a monologue for them as they're on their way out but that is what i do i'm like i see you are choking sir um here is this dramatic piece i have yes michael how has your improv background helped you save lives comedy saves lives comedy saves lives see but that's the other thing we have to unlearn that just because you don't have a life-saving skill does not mean that what you do and what you have to contribute uh, or give to someone else is not helping them in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in many ways, comedy can save a life. It can save the life of the person who's doing it or the person who's observing it or entertained by it. Because um, you never know who's in the audience. You never know who is um, maybe working the bar and overhear something you say and how it touches them in their lives at that particular moment. Uh, so I, that's you know maybe that's something we all have to unlearn <laughs> and I don't know what I was going to say what we have to unlearn but or unlearn that um, just because a job things. isn't like saving lives um, that it's not important right and just because of you know whoever determined that certain professions and certain skills are more valuable than others um doesn't mean that we all don't have something to contribute or something to connect, you know, us as human beings. Mm-hmm. And I think the pandemic has taught us that. I mean, how many people, you know, demeaned artists I and mean, uh, people who provide entertainment for others until we were all stuck at home trying to find things to watch and entertain us. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, oh, yes, th- thank God for... Uh, comedians and actors and writers and people who work in production and in lighting and makeup and everything because they're the ones who were able to you know get us through this well as somebody who works in production i just want to say you're welcome (laughs) well that's what we're trying to say is thank you specifically matt (laughs) thank thank me (laughs) michael's face of disapproval does not come through in the audio but but i'm feeling it i'm feeling it Hopefully he was whispering like this motherfucker. <laughs> this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, like at the beginning of quarantine when um people would go outside hospitals and clap for them and it's like you didn't even realize these a lot of these jobs even existed and now people are realizing like how important and how necessary their jobs are. So it's just it's nice that we're getting to this point. It's just sad that this is what we had to go through to realize this. Matt, do you have a time that you had to unlearn something about education, intelligence, professionalism? So for me, um, as, as, a, as a kid, I knew that I wanted to go into entertainment and specifically television, um, which... It, it's weird. People people always assume when you work in TV, it's like, oh yeah, you wanted to be a film director. Like, no, never really wanted to do film. It's not. It's a different thing. I like I like TV, 
um, I went to school for television. Like I went to a college that not only had a film program, because a lot of schools will have a film program. Um, I went to a school that specifically had a television program. And we even beyond that had TV production, uh, writing for television. There was a radio uh, major. Um, so, you know, we had all different types of media covered and, and, and I knew I wanted to go to that school or a media school to go into television and I, I followed that path. But along the way, after going through college, there's been times where I've kind of veered away from the quote unquote plan, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and what I've learned is that, that like that's, it, it's okay, you don't have to, you know, if you set a goal for yourself when you're 14, um, and you and you get to the point where you're 24 or 34, and and that's not your goal anymore, or you veer off from it and don't follow a plan that you came up for yourself when you were a teenager. That's that's perfectly okay. And a lot of the most successful people I know um, who, who work in television didn't major in television or didn't even think they would end up in television, and they somehow ended up there some other way. And you just we put so much emphasis on telling high schoolers to know where they're going and like pick the right college for you. And, and, uh, and then you get, get to through life, you get to life and you're like, Oh, this is, this is a lot different than what I thought it was going to be. It's not as simple as pick a lane and just follow a, a certain path that's laid out. Blaze your own trail, if you will. Yeah, that's a really big one. Um, cause it just makes me think about blazing your own trail and how people, um, compare their own path to somebody else thinking like they're not successful or they're not doing the right thing when we all have our own path that we need to travel through to discover whatever career that we have and to I don't know, discover the person that we're trying to be yeah I think too many people get hung up on the idea that's like okay Orson Welles directed Citizen Kane when he was 25 so if you want to work in film like you have to have directed a masterpiece by the time you're 25 that's ridiculous yeah. that's ridiculous uh, and, 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 and I'm, again, bringing it back to media cause that's, I live in LA and it's everywhere, but obviously it, it applies in other, thank you for making another face at me, Michael. Uh, <laughs> it applies in every walk of life, all, you know, all over the place. People find what they're best at sometimes in their, in their fifties instead of their twenties mm-hmm. or, you know, you work in a certain industry or job and, and it takes years to get good at it. What that makes me think of is like these arbitrary age limitations that people put on themselves. Mm. And um, and thinking that it's, it's too late for them to do something. And oh no, I'm too mm-hmm. old for that. Or oh, I'm running out of time. So no, it's too late for me to start something new. And really those are, you know, I live by the model, I'm not going to tell myself no before someone else does. And that it prevents me from from not trying things. Um, I'll try something, and if somebody else tells me no, great, that's good. But, like, I'm still going to try to do it, regardless of what, you know, arbitrary limitations uh, I believe society has come up with. Because, um, again, those are arbitrary. Those are, who knows? Who knows who made those up? And they're pointless. Because, yes, there is ageism, in, especially in certain industries. Uh, 
But there are people who break that mold. And again, it's like not following a certain path. It's doing whatever you want to do. One thing I want to ask you about, Michael, is um, one of the reasons we're having, I mean, one of the, the main reason we're having you on is because we wanted to talk to you about anything. But um, we part of the reason you. we're having you on for this education episode is that you have had uh, more schooling than either uh, Felicia or myself because you uh, you went to college, you went to grad school and then law school, is that correct? Yes, and before that I went to elementary school, middle school, and high school. I'm not familiar with those things as well. That's good. I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry that I, I missed. Would you like to shout out the name of your middle school? Was it an ex- exclusive middle school? It was very exclusive. It was William Dandy Middle School. <laughs> Are you making that up or is this true? That is 100% the truth. I know I started off the day with a lie, but this is true. You went to the Dandy Middle School? Dandy. William went, Dandy. <laughs> William Dandy. William Fine and Dandy Middle School. Mm-hmm. And then Boyd Anderson High School. Stop it. Yeah. That's actually, yeah, this is what we wanted for the education episode. We're just going to name the schools <laughs> name that we went I went to Westwood Public High School. It was not very originally named. Yeah, I went to Muskego High School in Muskego. And it was a high school. Can I get a clap? (laughs) (laughs) I love that clap. I meant the clap so I know to edit my part out, but I love the applause. I loved that, yes. Oh, yeah, I thought you meant if you could get an applause break, not the, the the edit clap. So you, after high school, where did you go? Where did you go to college? Oh, so I, I went to college at Tulane University in New Orleans. Um, then I went to grad school at the University of Malta. It's a country smack dab in the middle of the Mediterranean. Uh, and then I went to law school, first at University of Florida, and then I transferred to Northwestern in Chicago. Uh, real quick, this is reminding me when we talked yesterday, uh, you mentioned that uh, you were a, a mascot, right? Yes, I was the, a fierce and ferocious pelican. This is, I'm assuming for Tulane because it's of New Orleans? No, or? that was for William Dandy. This was for William Dandy? No, I'm kidding. It was for Tulane. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I know a, pelicans, I think of, of Louisiana, but there could be pelicans in Florida probably, right? Wow. Looks like you have to unlearn where you think pelicans. No, I need to learn. I never learned. I have nothing to unlearn about pelicans. I never learned in the first place. No, but pelicans are the state bird of Louisiana, and it was for Tulane. So it was a, a, I was a furry pelican uh, that was riptide, and then the big inflatable per- pelican was Pecker. Pecker the pelican. Peloton. Pecker Peloton. Pelican. Peloton. Peloton. It's not a. It's not a Peloton. Is that what you said? It's not an exercise bike. <laughs> I got the Peloton. So, um, and then you you went to law school. Now, uh, was your plan always to be a lawyer? It sort of was. I was one of those people who started off early in life on a track, uh, and I kind of stayed true to it. Um, I went to a pre-law middle school, so I was doing mock trials in a fake courtroom in my eighth grade class, uh, and then I did mock trials in the county court, Broward County Courthouse, Um, and then I continued doing uh, 
mock trials in college, and then I ended up going to law school a couple of years after that. Do you do you remember any of your mock trials from middle school? Do you remember any of your the cases you had? Yes, my first big case was a representing. It was a criminal trial, and I was the defense attorney representing the witch uh, for the murder. Who was accused of the murder of Hansel and Gretel? Mm-mm. She probably should should have been uh, charged with concealment of a homicidal death as well. But I think that might have been a little too advanced for eighth grade. So it was just straight up murder. And I, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, ask you too much about your criminal record, about your record as a, as a criminal defense attorney. But did you, did you win? Did you get her off, or is she? Okay. Um, we don't really like to, as criminal defense attorneys, we don't really like to speak in terms of wins and losses because the system is uh, set up against us. Mm. But I will proudly say I lost. I would normally I, be sad um, because as a friend, as I'd be like, I want my friend to to succeed. But I mean, she killed them. She killed them kids. She was guilty. See what? She was guilty only because the a court or a jury found her guilty. Well, do you remember what, what was your argument? Do you remember how you tried to, what your main argument was? Well, you know, uh, the main argument, I can only say... It's holding the state, the state to its burden of proving the defendant guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And if the evidence isn't there, then, you know, the evidence is just not there. You're like, Your Honor, sometimes children disappear in the forest. It happens all the time. Actually, it does. Right. That's I'm, I'm saying. I might have oh, voted. I might have voted to you. acquit. No, but that's like something that I think, you know... In unlearning, because we're unlearning things, um, we have to unlearn the fact that just because someone is charged with a crime or goes to trial or even is found guilty after a trial, that that person is not bad. Um, And just because someone is accused of something does does not even mean they did it. You know, how many times uh, are people, how many times are people stopped on the street uh, and Mm -hmm. accused of wrongdoing when they're not, they haven't done anything wrong? Or they may or may not have done anything wrong. You know, the Constitution says that everyone is entitled to a certain process, a fair trial. Uh, So criminal defense attorneys are there to ensure that the process is fair. We all have constitutional rights. There is a you know, a system of rules of evidence that are set up to make sure that the state is allowed to admit only relevant evidence and not to prejudicial evidence. And, um, you know, legislatures and courts have made reasoned decisions as to what kind of evidence is admissible. Uh, and, you know, and it's not the evidence that people talk about in the media. There is, you know, rule, there are rules for trial. Um, so all the slanderous stuff that you hear in the media about people's backgrounds and records, a lot of that wouldn't even come in, uh, at their trial, but, you know, we're so quick to convict someone based on, you know, whatever reputation or character, uh, that might come out in media investigation, but, you know, that's not the evidence that would come out uh, at a trial against them. So you're saying your job is not 
it, the exact thing that I see on TV all the time with uh, either news shows or Law and Order shows. That's not your life. Unlearn that. <laughs> <laughs> but Law and Order taught me everything I need to be prepared for in court to like uh, objection. Um, your Honor, can I have a sidebar? Those are definitely things that happen. <laughs> but not often. What people don't know is that, you know, the vast majority of cases are resolved through guilty pleas. Uh, and people don't go to trial. Um, you know, someone will can face, you know, a multitude of charges that is that are there to induce them to plead guilty and avoid that process that they're entitled to uh, under the Constitution. Um, so, you know, the things that I saw that I really enjoyed doing in middle school, in my pre-law program, uh, the things that I saw in, you know, Law and Order and all these other legal shows, by and large, that's not what happens. And I think that that's the case for so many different professions. You know, what we see, what entertains us most is probably a very small, small fraction of what it's like in the day-to-day for all these different uh, lives that are portrayed. Yeah, I think, uh, especially with dramas on TV, it's there's a lot of, it's lawyers, it's cops, it's uh, medical professionals. It's all the jobs that potentially a life can be on the line. Mm. But uh, that is not necessarily the case 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, often I, I, I kind of wish there was a cop show that like after they have an incident that's like really exciting or whatever, they just show them like doing paperwork, filing the paperwork about the incident <laughs> for like a half hour because that's most of their day. I mean, if you want to come to my office and film a show of what it, of the day-to-day of an attorney, like, you will not get past five minutes. Yeah, let's let's make a show. This We'll make a, a courtroom drama or office drama of, because it's mostly you don't go to court. Uh, let's, what, would, what would we call your show? Let's have a Michael Gomez lawyer show that's based in reality where you just do paperwork most of the day. Unlearn that. <laughs> I think yesterday you uh, pitched like a docu-series type thing where you go into a bunch of different professions and it's like, this is what it's really like to be a doctor. It's just really like to be a lawyer. And it's just sitting. Yeah. This is a lot of uh, sitting at a desk, researching, writing, wrecking your brain, um, maybe talking with other, with colleagues to see if they have any ideas of how to frame an argument uh it's not a lot of objection your honor may i have a sidebar Uh, yeah that day-to-day is something we have to unlearn now did you get did you want to become a lawyer because you thought you would be in court objecting and stuff or what made you want to be a lawyer i think it actually started much earlier in life um i grew up in a big cuban family in miami and the one thing you can guarantee for every Cuban kid growing up in Miami is that you will always hear stories about Cuba. And I had so many different family, family friends, uh, who had experiences in Cuba um, with being imprisoned, falsely accused of crimes, uh, being imprisoned without any sort of due process. So those notions of fairness, of due process, of um, equity under the law, 
I, those were instilled in me as a little kid and I didn't, you know, later on I attached labels to them, legal labels, but I always was interested. In it. it just seemed so unfair yeah. uh, to me. And then once I figured out that, oh, that's, that's something that I want to work in. I want to work to ensure that there is a system of fairness and that I can do whatever I can to ensure that fairness for others who may be in the, the most vulnerable time, the most, um, you know, the lowest times in their lives uh, to provide that service for them. So I brought that mood down real quick. <laughs> no, no, I love it. Um, I love it because I think we talked about how uh, staying on one path and it's okay to switch over to a different path because you, you also do comedy. So it's like nice to see how like paths can just be changed throughout or you can go down two paths at once yeah i did i i actually didn't grow up pursuing acting or comedy and didn't really develop an interest in it until my last week of law school i had been in chicago for uh two years and i had never heard of second city and i found out that i had actually gone to a show at second city and kind of hated it but it was it was it was a uh, who who was in the show that you hated? I want names. No, it, it, it was a uh, I think it was like maybe a writing six type show or an independent sketch show that I didn't even know what sketch was at the time. Um, and there was like a wrestling match involved, and I was like, this is too much for me. <laughs> I don't get this. Uh, but it was my last week of law school that I saw my first improv show, and it was at Comedy Sports, and I was like, this is amazing. And it was the, the next week, you know, I graduated law school and then I signed up for uh, classes at Second City while studying for the bar that summer. And then oh my gosh. went down that path. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I was able to do both and I've continued doing both. Um, you know, what I said earlier about kind of being there for someone and giving someone or being of service to someone at their most vulnerable time or the time that they need it the most. It, it applies not only to my legal side, but to the comedy. You never know who's in the audience and you do provide a huge service uh, to some, you're providing an escape. Um, so I'm just, I'm just grateful that I have an opportunity to, to not only like stimulate those parts of my brain that I enjoy stim stimulating, but also providing things for others. Yeah, I remember when we first met, uh, it was at a, a improv class at the I.O., and you were so good and so committed to characters, and I just kind of assumed, like, oh, this is someone who, like, must have done theater since they were, like, five years old, and this is, like, a performer person, and then uh, someone mentioned that you were a lawyer, and... And, and I needed to unlearn what a lawyer was because I was like, no, no, this guy is funny. Lawyers aren't funny. Lawyers can't be funny. You can't be funny and a lawyer. That's ridiculous. But of course, um, of course you can be funny and be a lawyer. I mean, that's not a lot about, but, you know. <laughs> but not, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a reason why the, the, the lawyer shows are usually dramas and not comedies, but. Well, I was like, that's the thing is that at, at there are all these boxes that society tries to put people in are all these labels mm -hmm. and categories. Um, yes, race, gender, sexuality, um, 
all of those exist, but those boxes and those labels continue all across society to professions, to how people dress. Um, and, and no one ever fits any box. I mean, some people might fit the box, but that's because of how they turned out. Uh, but just because you have a certain label attached to your name doesn't mean that you are that certain way. Um, so just like you say, you know, oh, lawyers can be funny, but also comedians can be lawyers or people in acting and comedy and entertainment can have other interests. Um, just don't put people in boxes. I think that's a huge thing to unlearn too, is like, um, thinking you have to be some type of way for a career. When it's like, you can be multiple things at once and still do one thing. I mean, I've gotten yelled at uh, by lawyer bosses for taking improv classes. I've been... If they I've were mad at you for taking classes? They, I was leaving for a 7 p.m. class and uh, I got yelled at when I came back to work at 10.30 p.m. that night. Um... They said that I get paid to work. I don't get paid to leave. How did it look like, you know, that a junior lawyer was going out taking acting classes while he had work to do? Even though I came back to work to finish it. and That's crazy. Yes, you got your work done, right? Did they also complain? Did they also complain when you insisted on sleeping eight hours every single day? Like, what what do you... See, I didn't even do that. Because... Didn't even ask them to give me my eight hours. I gave them what they wanted, which was the work. Um, but, but that's another thing of people thinking that there's a certain way to do things. I mean, the legal profession is very old fashioned that way in thinking that you have to work in an office. You have to address a certain way uh, to do this work to your greatest potential. I can write, I can guarantee you, I can write a much better legal brief while wearing my preferred sweatpants, especially um, my attire of choice during the pandemic, uh, than I would if I had to wear a suit. So instead of wearing fancy pants, you'd like to write your legal briefs in your legal briefs. <laughs> we can we can cut that joke out. That's fine. I'm not... No, no, leave it in because people need to hear this. I'm going to add an applause. People need to know what you guys have to put up with when I'm talking. <laughs> That, that makes me think about like professionalism too when um it makes me think of my own biases too like if i needed a lawyer and i came into an office and i saw somebody in sweatpants and i saw somebody in a suit i would probably go up to the person in the suit and be like they'll like help instead of like not looking at their prior work so that's something interesting and i guess those are the, those are some of the things because you know, there is a certain level of confidence that a, a certain appearance inspires in another person, the viewer. Um, you know, that's why certain comedy shows or certain troops, they require all the performers to wear suits because mm-hmm. that, that image conveys to the audience, like, we're serious, respect us and our craft. Uh, <laughs> and the same applies to, you know, in law, like, we have to wear suits in court. Uh, but if I'm sitting in my office and literally seeing nobody else, it should not matter uh, it my level of comfort or that I wear a suit instead of something that I'm more comfortable in. Yeah, I'm I mean, tell you, a suit does not lie to you. A suit will let you know exactly where you stand at any point in your life. 
It is unforgiving. I'm lucky that I kind of work in a business that uh, is not, there's not a lot of suit wearing. Uh, and I probably, it's something that I unlearned that, because I thought like, oh yeah, the executives wear suits or whatever. Like executive producers uh, wear graphic t-shirts and shorts and flip-flops mm-hmm. because it's LA. So you're going to wear flip-flops, you know. Because they're not walking anywhere there. No, because they have to drive everywhere. They're never going to walk. Even though it's really, it's nice out and they could enjoy a nice walk, but we're all going to drive everywhere. So we don't need to walk. So we're going to wear flip flops. And, and, and it doesn't, and you see people wearing flip flops in LA and shorts in LA and they could be making, they could be unemployed or they could be making a million dollars a year and you have, and there's no way to tell the difference just by looking at them. And that's how it should be. I mean, if everyone wants, I just don't understand how we have come to accept these arbitrary rules mm-hmm. that society has placed upon us. And you know, it's, it's passed on from generation to generation and I, I see changes happening, um, but it, it makes you wonder wh- how, which one of these arbitrary rules was set in place for a reason other than trying to control other people. Mm-hmm. Like, what function does it serve? And if it doesn't serve that function, then why is it there? Yeah, I think humans are very good at, like, adapting to their surroundings. And so when you are told something and you see something, you just kind of take it for granted that, oh, that's the way it is because that's the way it is. And I think in the last few years, yeah, people have gotten better at kind of questioning why we do things the way we do them. Because sometimes tradition is not a good enough reason to to keep doing the same thing and to keep up the same uh, perceptions that we have. Yeah, we have to explore those traditions. And it's like, why was this tradition made and who was it made to serve? And why are we still serving the same person? And then you get the people who are so caught up in it and they don't Mm -hmm. know or want to entertain any other way. uh, And they are so resistant to change. And I think, you know, for better, for worse, this pandemic has kind of held up a mirror to a lot of those people to show them that the way that we've been doing things is, you know, is worthy of at least questioning uh, to Mm -hmm. see what we can keep and what we should change or how much we can allow for people to just how much flexibility we can allow people so they can continue just existing as they feel most comfortable while still doing whatever they need to do. Unlearn that. <laughs> Thank you. I think Felicia and I don't say the, the title of the show nearly enough. And I appreciate that you, as the guest, are doing our job of Thank constantly you. saying the name of the show. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I feel like even if I'm not hitting the, the topic or fulfilling the purpose of the show as I speak, I feel like if I say unlearn that every now and again, you know, it just kind of puts a, puts a little seed in the brain. Yeah. No, I agree. Because we knows what he's talking about. <laughs> well, we'll go on tangents. And then at the end of it, we'll be like, how do we get there? What are we talking about? But you never forget. You go on a tangent. And you're like, and to bring it back, unlearn that. You bring us right back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is so learn. interesting about bringing it back. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the last segment. How's Look your journey? <laughs> you tied it in perfect. I just did such a good job with that. Um, 
And this last segment is where we figure out how far we are on a journey of unlearning on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being I haven't started, and 10 being I have arrived. Where are you on your journey? Matt, Michael, whichever one wants to go first. I could go first, too, if you guys would prefer. Yeah, when we recorded yesterday the episode that is now lost to time, uh, this was a very contentious thing about who would go first, second, and third. Mm -hmm. So, Michael, as the guest, I will leave it up to you. Would you like to go first, second, or third? You know, as the guest, I prefer to defer to the hosts to guide me through the process. Then we'll have you go first. But I would also prefer to go first. I mean, because that that just seemed like an arbitrary uh, determination on your part, and it was. It you know, was if there's rude. anything, if there's anything I have unlearned and then learned is that arbitrary decisions uh, can be questioned. Yeah, we need to start questioning these arbitrary decisions. I will. Uh, I guess I'll start then. I would say, on a scale of uh, one to ten. Uh, I'll put myself at like a, a, a seven, maybe six and a half, seven, somewhere in that range. Uh, definitely beyond a five. Um, but as as we've discussed in previous episodes, like the closer you get to a ten, the, the more you realize like ten is maybe further away than you originally thought, or mm-hmm. like maybe there's no such thing as a ten. You'll never stop growing, stop learning, which is a good thing. Um, but I, I would say, yeah, maybe a six or seven. Uh, I certainly do not think about education and intelligence and, as we talked about uh, a lot, professionalism. I, I definitely view those things uh, differently than I than I did when I was younger. But I, you know, I still got room to grow. So I'll go with a seven. And Michael, you know, I'll go with. Um, I'm probably at a, a seven or eight right now. Um, I've done a lot of forced self-reflection over the past year uh, <laughs> have learned a lot of things about myself and what it is that I enjoy doing and trying to maximize my joy um, but also you know in that journey of self-discovery the closer I get to 10 the more I re- I realize oh I'm probably more toward like a two or a three because I realize that I don't know if I'm fooling myself or uh, I tie up one, you know, thought process in a little bow and then realize, oh, I've got these other things that I need to take care of as well. Uh, so, it's, you know, constant evolution. But at this point in the life cycle of it, I think I'm at a seven or eight. I was I trying like- to do my job as a co-host to try and <laughs> to lead you in. And- You're doing great. You know what? Okay, Felicia. Huh? Felicia, why don't you go ahead? <laughs> Thank you so much for asking. Um, I feel like I'm on the same speed as you guys right now. I think I'm at a seven. Um, I think I'm constantly on this journey when it comes to education and because uh, I feel like like things that I desire to do, like when I first came to Chicago, I was like, I want to do theater. So then I was on my road of whatever that education was for me. And then 
I was like, I want to do improv and now I want to do writing. So I feel like I'm constantly changing roads. So like moving forward and backwards. But I think right now in my life, I'm at a seven on education and how I feel. I like that we're all in a similar spot. I don't. Yeah, we're on the same car. In L.A. because they don't walk. Right. We're, yes, I'm certainly in a car because I'm in L.A. Yes, you guys have the option <laughs> we're of a public bus. transit or whatever you want to do. We are in a well-ventilated bus with mm-hmm. masked passengers. Um, so sadly, that that's all. That we're running out of time. Um, Felicia, if you'd like to delete the audio of this episode as well so we could have Michael on a third time, <laughs> I would be okay with that. I'm devastated. I was devastated when I saw that I had messed up the audio. I um, I was like slightly relieved because I never like what I say, and I was like, okay, I got a I got a second shot. And now that we've done the second episode, I'm like, that ah, was probably worse than the first one. <laughs> no, this was really. I definitely good. did not perform as well as yesterday, so my apologies to the listening audience. You please I tune think in next time. <laughs> All right, that, that's, that's all the time we have. Uh, Michael, thank you for, for, for being on the podcast. Thank you, um, Michael. Thank you for having say, me. I just want to say, uh, for the record, Felicia has to do all this extra work editing anyway. So I, when I, I'm just joking. I'm not seriously. I, I, you do all this extra work. So um, mistakes happen. Uh, I, I'm sorry if I was uh, harsh in my jokes earlier. No, I didn't, didn't, no. You know, you know I'm kidding. Um, it was a delight to actually do it again. Um, all right. So thank you so much for tuning in to Unlearning. Uh, please feel free to share your stories with us. Uh, send comments or suggestions to unlearningapodcast at gmail.com. Um, if you have trouble remembering that, I like Felicia said, oh, our podcast has a middle name and it starts with A. So it's unlearningapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also uh, keep up with us on Twitter, unlearning underscore cast, or Instagram, unlearning underscore podcast. Um, we are a proud member of the Trident Network. For more, check out tridentnetwork.com. And this is a reminder that you are not alone on your journey to unlearn name. <laughs>